Good morning. There you go. I know I'm losing my voice, so you got to help me out here today. It's good to have you here this morning. We're really delighted uh, that you've come to worship with us uh, here at Redeemer. When uh, uh, when we decided to uh, have service today, we weren't sure how many would be here, and uh, we've struggled to. Uh, we don't have worship team and all that, so we decided to put together a little bit different uh, service today. Um, it's going to be uh, just a little bit different than normal. In fact, all uh, three services today are, are exactly alike. Um, the reason uh, that we're doing that is going to be clear to you in just a few minutes. Uh, but I want to just invite you to pull out the communication card that's in your worship folder before we begin and, and invite you to fill that out. Let us know that you're with us today. We'd appreciate that. On the back, there's room for prayer concerns or other information. You may want to share with our staff. You can drop this in the offering plate later uh, in today's service. This is a service today that you can fully participate in, <clears throat> and I hope that you will and pray that it will touch your heart. Um, Kim Metzer, who's our director for um, discipleship and small groups, will also share in today's service uh, with me. Uh, we uh, had a great Christmas Eve, uh, nearly 1,500 here for Christmas Eve in all four services. And I know some of you were here, and I appreciate you being here and bringing family and friends. Uh, it was so good to see everyone. And then it was also good uh, for some of us to have the next day off, uh, not be here on, uh, on Christmas uh, uh, Sunday a week ago. But we're glad to be back, and next week, again, all Christian education will resume, and we'll be back to a, a full schedule uh, next Sunday. So thank you again for coming this morning. Today we're uh, going to be doing a um, uh, what we call a John Wesley Covenant Service. Now you may have no idea who John Wesley is if you've not grown up in the United Methodist tradition. John Wesley is who's credited as uh, really beginning the Methodist Church in America. Uh, the societies uh, of Methodists who gathered uh, all across the country as the frontier grew and uh, back in the mid 17, late 1700s. And in, in 1775, Wesley introduced a covenant service as an important part of the spiritual life of the Methodist uh, movement at that time. <clears throat> and this is a renewal service <clears throat> A time for Methodists to gather annually uh, for a time of self-reflection, self-examination, dedication to God, totally giving up themselves and renewing their covenant relationship with God. So the, the covenant service is all about repentance, it's about confession, it's about commitment to God. Those are the key focuses of this service. It demands humility from those of us who are willing to submit ourselves to the dynamic words of this uh, particular service. According to Wesley's journal, which he uh, was one of the writings that, that we go back and see some of uh, what he thought and, and uh, did a, a, as a pastor, uh, talked about how the covenant renewal service was held at various occasions during the course of the year, but by the end of his life, it was typically um, done on a Sunday nearest January 1st, or the new year. Covenant renewal service is a practice that continues in many Christian communities today, not just in United Methodist churches. It's undergone some revisions and adaptations, but its purpose 
is to be a ceremony of our commitment to the ongoing discipleship and Christ-like character to which we are called. So our prayer today is for this service to be a means of grace for you and for this church, bringing renewal into the hearts and lives of God's people as we freely give to God all that we are. We're going to open the, the service today singing one of the great uh, hymns of Methodism, Charles Wesley's, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Let's stand as we sing together. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace my gracious master and my god assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name jesus the name that charms our fears our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and hell and peace. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive, the mournful broken hearts rejoice, the from Psalm 90. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Let's pray together this opening prayer. Almighty God, you search our hearts and you see every part of us. All our desires are known to you and from you no secrets are hidden. By the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, cleanse our hearts so that we may perfectly love you and glorify your holy name. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, as God's dearly loved children, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Let's stand again and sing, My Hope is Built. <laughs>
Once not often do we get together on uh, New Year's Day, so it seems appropriate that early in the new year we would meet as a congregation to be reminded of who we are and to renew our covenant with God. As I said earlier, this is a distinctively Methodist practice which can be traced back to the first covenant service held by John Wesley in 1755. That first service took place in August, but it soon became accustomed to do this renewal early in the year as a day of solemn promise and reflection and rededication. It's a time of great spiritual blessing. Uh, And that's evident from Wesley's description in his journal on Sunday, January 1st, 1775. Wesley wrote these words. We had a larger congregation at the renewal of the covenant than we have had for many years. And I do not know that ever we had a greater blessing. Afterward, many desired to return thanks either for a sense of pardon or for full salvation or for a fresh manifestation of God's grace, healing all their backslidings. In Wesley's time, the covenant service was preceded by a period of preparation, including prayer, fasting, and preaching, which helped to underscore the importance of what was taking place. In our day, coming so soon after the excess of Christmas and New Year's Eve, it's more likely to be preceded by feasting rather than fasting. And the seriousness of the covenant service increasingly feels like a much needed spiritual detox for some of us. It's unfortunate that the covenant service in modern times is often detached from that same prayer and preparation that used to precede it. Because what we do today is neither trivial nor insignificant. And that's the background of the covenant service, but what's it all about? Well, perhaps stating the obvious that it is at the heart, what's at the heart of the covenant service is this biblical concept of covenant. Today I want to particularly focus on a passage from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, which introduces the idea of a new covenant. Now this passage takes us to the heart of what covenant is all about and to the heart of what we are doing as we renew our covenant with God today. This is one of those biblical passages that is often read in isolation, taken uh, out of its original context. But if we really want to understand what Jeremiah was talking about, we need to remind ourselves of the background to this reading. At the very beginning of his ministry, God had given Jeremiah a task. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build and plant. For some 40 years, Jeremiah was faithful to his calling prophesying that unless the people of Judah returned to God, the destruction of their nation was inevitable. And indeed, Jeremiah came to witness the utter defeat and the dismantling of his nation at the hands of the Babylonian armies. All that had been prophesied had come to pass. If you read the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah, you will find them unrelenting in doom and gloom. And then suddenly and unexpectedly, the beginning of chapter 30, the gloom lifts and there's a new message. 
For the time is coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel and Judah. I will bring them home to this land that I give to their ancestors, and they will possess it again. Now, after all the uprooting and the tearing and the destroying and the overflowing, Jeremiah is now going to be building and growing and planting. This change of tone continues to the end of chapter 33. And this part of Jeremiah is often referred to as the book of consolation or the book of comfort. And our reading about the new covenant is part of that book of consolation and looks beyond the present desperate plight of the people to the time when God would heal their wounds, when he would bring them back from the land of exile, when he would restore their land. Even the covenant relationship between God and his people would be restored. Jeremiah 31.1 says, In that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will all be my people. But how could a covenant relationship that was so utterly broken be restored? People had failed to live up to the covenant in the past. What guarantee was there that things would be any better in the future? That brings us to verses 31 through 34, which is really the focus for us today. What do we learn about the covenant from this text? First, the covenant is primarily understood as a relationship. The words used to describe the nature of this relationship are very interesting. Look at verse 32. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. Interesting phrase there, husbands and wives, you don't get a much closer relationship than that. And this is a point worth emphasizing because the term covenant in everyday use is primarily a legal word. It's a type of contract, a formal agreement, a promise, a pledge. But the concept of covenant was not viewed in the Old Testament in legal terms. Covenant was a metaphorical way to describe the relationship between God and the people in terms of mutual interaction. God revealed himself to the people, I will be your God, and expected the people to respond to that revelation with worship and with faithfulness. You shall be my people. The breaking of the covenant was not a violation of law that required a legal penalty, but the disruption of a relationship that needed healing and restoration. God may have been husband, but the people have been unfaithful. And this unfaithfulness is presented in the most graphic terms in chapter 3, where Israel is likened uh, to an unfaithful wife who's actively pursuing her many lovers. The relationship between God and his people has been destroyed. The old covenant could not be resurrected as if nothing had happened. Certainly not by the people who had destroyed it. Something new, something radical was needed if there was to be a new relationship between God and his people. So the first point of, is that covenant, and this is true covenant we're making today as it was then, covenant is primarily about a relationship with God. The relationship between God and his people, whereas God says through Jeremiah, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord, 
I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So later uh, in the service, when we pray the covenant prayer, we will say to God, you are mine, and I am yours. And if you don't remember anything else about the message after you leave church today, remember that phrase, I will be your God, and you will be my people. This is the very center of what covenant is all about. Now, the second thing we learn about this covenant is that it was written on people's hearts. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. What the people needed was not a new law, not a change in the law. What they needed was a change of heart so that they might remain faithful to the relationship to which God had called them, and they needed a change of mind so that they could live the way God wanted them to live. The language of the heart is present also in Psalm 51. Maybe you remember it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So what does it mean when God says he will write his law on people's hearts? We're obviously using more metaphorical or symbolic language because God isn't literally going to carve words on this muscle that's beating away in our chest. Today we, th- we tend to think about the heart as the seat of our emotions, particularly emotions such as compassion and love. The heart symbolizes love, particularly romantic love, in contrast with the heart is the head, which is we think of in terms of that logical reasoning part of us. In actual fact, science tells us that our thoughts and feelings come from the brain. The heart is just this muscular pump, but this is the language of metaphor and poetry. So we feel with our heart, we think with our head. Now for the ancient Hebrews, the heart wasn't just associated with the emotions, but with rational, the decision making part of us as well. So when Jeremiah speaks of God writing his law on our hearts, he doesn't just mean that we will have this warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling toward God. He means that the desire to put God's will and purposes into practice will be absolutely ingrained in our deepest being. God's law will be written on our hearts. The Hebrew word for law is Torah, which means teaching or instruction. It's actually very close to what Paul meant when he wrote to the Romans saying, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. These ideas are brought together in one of Charles Wesley's great hymns entitled, Oh, for a heart to praise my God. And it's really a prayer for a heart that is cleansed and changed and renewed. And in the last line, Charles Wesley asks that God write a new name, a new word on his heart. And that word is love. The word that summarizes all of the law. That's what we need God to inscribe in our hearts so that we are people who are guided and motivated and ruled by love. The third thing that we learn from the covenant is that the initiative for making the covenant was totally with God. 
That's true for all the covenants in the Bible. They all begin with God, but there's something special about this new covenant. Think of it this way. Even if God restores his people to the land he promised them and enables them to experience prosperity and joy and shows love to them again, that is not going to be enough. Something must change within the people themselves. Here God promises to heal them from the inside out. God will change not only their outward uh, circumstances, but he's going to change their heart. So let me personalize it. Outward change is never enough. Something must change within ourselves. Here God promises to heal us from the inside out. God is not going to change only our outward experiences. He wants to change our very hearts. God takes all the initiative in doing that. God does all the work. See, left to our own devices, our covenant relationship with God is fragile and easily disrupted. For like ancient Israel, we are so tempted by the many false gods of the contemporary society and around us, and we find it so hard to put God's teaching into practice in our life. But God's promises to, to change us, to renew our minds and write his word on our hearts. And that's what we call grace. God offers us both a covenant relationship with him and the promise to change our hearts so that we can be faithful to that relationship. God even promises to wipe the slate clean. Or to use a more modern analogy, God offers to press the reset button. I know many electronic gadgets today have a reset button, so if anything goes badly wrong, you just want to restore it to the speed, the reliability of that device, you press the reset button. And bingo, all the stuff you've downloaded, the pointless apps, the viruses, the rubbish you've accumulated, disappears and it's back in factory condition just as the maker intended. In chapter 31, verse 34, here God is pressing the reset button. And he says, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. See, there's going to be a new relationship written on people's hearts, initiated by God. In fact, it's a gift of God. This is the covenant which we are renewing today as a congregation with with our Creator. We thank God that He not only offers us this covenant relationship with Him, but He also gives us the ability to keep it. And if that weren't true, then the commitment we make today in the words of the covenant prayer, would be quite foolish and would last just about as long as many of our New Year's resolutions last. But there is grace here, and there is the power of God that changes us. And it is that grace that makes us bold to renew this covenant yet again today. Amen. Dearly loved brothers and sisters, the Christian life is a life found in Christ, redeemed from sin and consecrated to God. We are those who have entered into this life and have been admitted into the new covenant of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He is the mediator of this covenant. He sealed it with his own blood so it would last forever. On one side of this covenant stands God, who promises to give us new life in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Every day, God proves his goodness and grace to us, showing us that his promise still stands firm. On the other side, we stand as those who promise to no longer live life for ourselves, but instead to only live for Jesus Christ, because he has loved us and given his life for us. There are times in our lives when it is important for us to remember and reaffirm our promises and our vows. In this same way, we come today to renew our covenant with God. Many generations have done this before us. Today, we make that covenant our own, renewing with both joy and sincerity the covenant that binds us all to God. The responses to the confession will be on the screens. We are those who seek to live as true disciples of Jesus Christ, but sometimes we fall short. Let us now examine ourselves before God, humbly confessing our sins and submitting our hearts so that we do not deceive ourselves and cut ourselves away from God. Let us pray. Holy God, you have set forth the way of life through your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you love dearly. We shamefully confess that we have been slow to learn of him and have been reluctant to follow him. You have spoken and called to us, but we have not listened. You have revealed your beauty to us, but we have been blind. You have stretched out your hands to us through our friends, but we have passed by them. We have accepted your gifts and offered little thanks. We are unworthy of your unchanging love. We now confess to you our sins. Please forgive us for the poverty of our worship, for the selfishness of our prayers, for our inconsistency and unbelief, for the ways we neglect fellowship and your grace, for our hesitation to tell others about Christ, and for the ways we deceive others. Forgive us when we waste time and when we misuse the gifts you have given us. Forgive us for when we have made excuses for the wrong things we have done and when we have purposely avoided responsibility. Forgive us that we have been unwilling to overcome evil with good and that we have not been ready to carry our cross. Forgive us that we have not allowed your love to work through us to help others, and that we have not made their suffering our own. Forgive us for those times when instead of working for unity, we made it hard for others to live with us because of our lack of forgiveness, inconsiderate judgment, and quick criticism. Forgive us for when we have not tried to reconcile with others and when we have been slow to seek redemption. Forgive us also for these sins that we silently confess to you now. God, the Father of all mercies, is faithful to cleanse us from our sins and restore us to Christ's image. Praise and glory be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion. 
In the United Methodist Church, the communion table is an open table, free and available to all. And today we worship Christ who invites us to the table to share the bread and the cup. He invites us to come, for all of us are invited. He invites us to come, for all will be fed. He invites us to come, for all things are ready. In a moment, there will be servers across the front, and to the far left, there will be a gluten-free option available to you. After the prayer, I invite all of you to come and receive. Let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, you created us for faithful living, and so we lift our hearts to the one who calls us to be Christ's body in the world. We sing today to the one who cleanses us of our fears. We come with joy to the table to be with the one who promises peace and hope. We know that everything that was beautiful and true was created for us, but wanting to know sin and death, we exchanged the best you gave to us for the garbage that the world offered. You sent your prophets to call us back into your covenant and love, but we continued to yearn for what we could not have. Finally, you sent your son in love in hope that we would accept him and the gift of new life. Wanting us to know you, Jesus came to be your face of love and compassion for all people. Hungering for reconciliation between you and your children, Jesus became the broken bread of life. Desiring to release us from the agony of sin and death, Jesus suffered on the cross so we might be made well. Today, as we remember his goodness and gentleness, as we celebrate his life in us, we would acknowledge that he is our treasure, the one who set aside his own life to rescue us from sin and death. So here at your table, God of all creation, pour out your spirit on the gifts of the bread and the cup and on these sisters and brothers in Christ. Your spirit gives us life so we may go and serve others. Your spirit heals our brokenness so we may bring healing to all. Your spirit graces us with peace so we may be peacemakers for our communities. And as we gather around your table, may all hurtful words be silenced, all pain left behind. With hope and grace and with these friends, may we will join our hearts and voices with our sisters and brothers around the world and forever, sing of your glory, God of all creation, amen. Will the servers please come forward? Be thou my vision, 
us, <clears throat> let us who are now gathered here before the Lord commit ourselves to Christ as his servant in a covenant relationship. Let us give ourselves to him so that we may fully belong to him. Jesus Christ has left us with many services to be done. Some of these services are easy and honorable and some are difficult. Some line up with our desires and interests, others are contrary to both. In some we please both Christ and ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. Jesus Christ, we offer you this prayer. Join me in prayer. I am not my own, I am yours alone. Make me into what you will. Place me with those you would have me be close to. Put me to use for you. Put me to suffering for you. Let me be employed for you. Let me be laid aside for you. Let me be lifted high for you. Let me be brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. With a willing heart, I freely give everything to your pleasure and disposal. Christ is Savior to those who are his true servants. He is the source of all salvation to those who obey. To be his servant is to consent fully to his will. Christ accepts nothing less from us. Christ will be all in all or he will be nothing. Now I invite you to confirm this truth by making it a reality in your life in five ways. First, set apart some time each and every day, more than once, to be spent alone with God. Seek to perceive God's special care for you and gracious acceptance of you. Carefully think through the words of this covenant and its conditions. Examine your heart, even if you have freely given your life to Christ. Name the sins in your life. Reflect on whether you are willing to choose Christ's holy law and strict commands. Be sure you are clear in all of these so that you do not lie to God. Secondly, uphold a spirit of holy awe and reverence for God. Third, claim God's covenant. Do not trust in your own strength and power, but rely upon God's promise of giving you grace and strength. In this way, he will empower you to keep your promises. Fourth, be determined to be faithful. You've given your heart and your life to God. You've opened your mouth to declare today yourself to the Lord. With God's power, never go back to your former way of living. And last, be prepared to renew your covenant with God and open your heart to God. Let us pray together. Holy God, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, see me now as I come before you. Forgive my unfaithfulness when I have not done your will. You promise mercy if I turn to you with my whole heart. You require that I rid myself of every idol in my life. So from the bottom of my heart, 
I hear and now renounce every idol in my life, covenanting with you that I will not commit any known sin. By turning against your will, I have turned my love toward the world. In your power, I will watch for any temptation that will lead me away from you. Before all heaven and earth, I here and now acknowledge you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as my Lord and God. I vow to give all of myself, body and soul, to be your servant and to serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of my life. Jesus, I here and now accept you and I join myself in covenant with you. I accept you as my Lord and head. I renounce my own unworthiness and vow that you are the Lord. I renounce my own will and take your will as my law. O oh God, you know that we have made this covenant today in sincerity, without deceit or reluctance. If you find anything false in us, guide us and help us to set it right. And now, from this day forward, through your infinite grace, we have become your covenant servant. You are ours and we are yours, so be it. May this covenant that we have made here on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen. When I've done this covenant service um, at other times, and I've, we've done that a couple of times since I've been here at Redeemer, some of you may not remember that far back. It's been a few years, but I know that each time we've done it, we've had folks say, I wish I could remember the words of that covenant prayer or uh, to take home with we we so we've done that for you today when you leave the ushers at the door will have uh, Sheets that look like this on one side. It's the covenant prayer. We prayed together on the other side It's the five things that I've mentioned that we are able to do if we want to keep this connection with God throughout 2017 so I invite you to pick one of those up as you leave and put it in a place where you can uh, look at it and remember it and read it often uh, as you share in your own devotional time with God. <clears throat>